The Macro View, episode 36. You're listening to the number one daily podcast focused on spreading the logic of liberty. I'm your host, Andrew Smith. All right, everybody, got another great episode of the Macro View here for you today. So in a recent episode of his podcast, The Freedom Report, Austin Peterson, the former candidate for the Libertarian nomination for president, as he often does, read an article. Actually, he read two articles in this in this podcast. So it's so good for you, Austin, stepping it up there, getting getting some more opinion pieces built into your podcast. And in doing so, he just stumbled and bumbled in an effort to try to explain why free trade is a good thing. And this is why I don't like Austin Peterson. Austin Peterson is horribly uneducated on the tenets and the logic of the free market. You know, he's very good at coming up with little quips and taglines like, I want gay couples to be able to defend their marijuana fields with assault rifles. But when it comes to actually explaining the laws of economics and the logic behind a free market, he fails miserably. So throughout tonight's episode, I will demonstrate his shortcomings, major shortcomings, I might add, in his knowledge on free market principles. I will provide clarity as to why the things he claims to be bad for humanity are actually bad for humanity. He does get it right that they're not good, but he doesn't go on to give any insight into the workings of the free market or economic law. And in doing so, I will demonstrate why Austin Peterson should never be selected to head the Libertarian Party. Now, I know that a lot of people know that there are rumors circling in Libertarian forums that he was approached. Actually, they weren't rumors. I should, should, should correct that. It was confirmed by Austin himself that the GOP approached him for a Senate run in 2018 as a Republican in his home state, which I believe is Missouri. His lack of coherence on free market principles is why I say let him go. Now, it is true that I did support the Libertarian Party in the most recent election. I will say, given that the party's nominee for uh, the election was a bumbling fool as well, Maybe Austin would have been a better candidate, but we have to demand better if the Libertarian Party is ever going to have a chance of making any inroads. Now, I will say, despite my distaste for some of the rhetoric and despite the fact that I still believe that the Trump presidency will be somewhat of a mixed bag, I feel as though the early days of the Trump presidency, as far as economic policy has been concerned, have been more pro-freedom and more pro-free markets than we've had in a very long time. And obviously, there's still much to see, but you know there there have been some good things. Now that 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 tends to be expected. Usually, those first you know hundred days or so, you get a lot of uh, you you get a lot of things that that kind of conform to the party's platform. And generally, Republicans tend to say that they're pro free market. And this is the first time in a long time that they have the House and the Senate with an incoming uh, incoming president of the same party. So you got to give him a shot to see what ends up happening, but I'm not holding my breath. Most likely it will be uh, a lot of foreign, foreign policy disasters. And uh, most likely there will be, uh, there will be sort of a, a you know, half-assed pro-free market approach. Now, when we get back from our first break, I'm going to be playing a couple of clips from Austin Peterson's Freedom Report podcast. Um, the episode titled Trump Kills the TPP good or bad, and then I will drop some knowledge. So we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. All right, folks. So I know most, if not all of my listeners are big believers in the free market. 
Some of my listeners may, from time to time, find themselves stumped by a statist. That's got to stop today, folks. We cannot let them embarrass us with pro-government intervention bumper sticker taglines and anti-free market memes. We need every single one of you to be able to clearly, concisely, and convincingly burn the statist strawmen. There's a resource for that. It's Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. You can sign up today, and they have three different levels. Basic, Basic Plus, and Master. With the Master membership in particular, you'll gain the equivalent knowledge of if you were to take a PhD program in libertarian thought, if there were such a thing at any of the various youth indoctrination centers that we call universities. So go and sign up today and begin taking courses such as An Introduction to Logic, The History of Economic Thought, Austrian Economics Step-by-Step, John Maynard Keynes' System and Its Fallacies, a ton of U.S. and Western Civilization History courses, Freedom's Progress, The History of Political Thought, and much, much more. To learn more, go to macroviewnews.com and click on the link in the top right corner titled Liberty Classroom. Once you've completed the master course, you're guaranteed to be better prepared to help me spread the logic of liberty. Okay, we're back. So we're going to play this clip from Austin's recent podcast. It's about two minutes long, so stick with me here. So just stick with me here. I I promise you will enjoy what, what is to come. When the conservatives start railing against the big corporations, generally it's not because they're arguing against corporatism. It's because they are arguing for corporatism, uh, essentially. They're arguing for the types of crony capitalism that happens when we give special uh, breaks and exemptions to people here in the United States. You know, the thing is, is that a free market doesn't need to have special exemptions for certain corporations. That's not how that's not how a free market works. It's not corporate. That's corporatism is the difference. And um, and that is the, the real difference between what is what we call free markets and crony capitalism. So we don't want to um, we don't want to have crony capitalism and we don't want to provide special benefits and favors. We we don't want an import export bank for example. And the people who were arguing for keeping the import export bank, uh, people like Senator Liz Warren from Massachusetts, you know, they were doing it because it was all about uh, giving subsidies and handouts to American uh, to American corporations. That's not what we want. You don't want to subsidize American corporations. That's not a free market. Okay, so then after that, it goes on to say that globalism is good and that globalism has dragged people out of poverty, which is not true. It was free trade and capital markets opening up that dragged people out of poverty. The ability to have capital investment come from countries that had capital accumulation or savings, as we've discussed before, savings increases productivity, capital investment comes from savings. The countries that have opened up to foreign capital investment have benefited from the accumulated capital, the savings of other countries' populations, much the way that Friday in our Crusoe economics thought experiment from episode 28 benefited from Robinson Crusoe's savings. Now, I'll link to episode 28 on the show page in, ca- in case you didn't catch that episode, but you'll want to want to uh, you'll want to check that out. But if you listen to the clip, all Austin is saying is, oh, we want free trade, not crony capitalism or cro- corporatism. We want free markets, not corporatism. We want free trade, not government favors to corporations. That's crony capitalism without ever explaining why we want free trade or free markets. Now, this is his great downfall. And on a topic so simple as free trade, 
the reason we want free trade is because of specialization and the division of labor. In economics, there are two laws that clearly point out why free trade benefits everybody. The first is the law of absolute advantage. The second is the law of comparative advantage. So the law of absolute advantage refers to the natural advantages of certain lands and certain people. So for example, Florida and California have an absolute advantage over Minnesota at producing oranges as a result of their climate. China has an absolute advantage over the U.S. in graphite production because they actually have significant graphite deposits underneath their land. Thailand and Malaysia have the right climate for rubber trees and the right soil for rubber trees, and they have an absolute advantage over the U.S. when it comes to rubber production as a result. China and Mongolia had an absolute advantage over the Italians in silk production because they actually had silkworms. There are many different natural resources that give one country or region an absolute advantage over others, including the amount of sunlight that one area may get versus another, and the temperature of that area, the amount of rainfall, and things like mineral deposits. Then there's comparative advantage. Now, comparative advantage, on the other hand, is when one country can produce two goods better than another country can, but the country that has inferior production is specializing in one of them, the one that they're less inferior at producing, while allowing the other country to specialize in the one that in, in, the, in producing what they're most efficient at or producing what they're, where their advantage is even greater, then you end up having a greater abundance than if both countries split their resources to produce both. So to demonstrate, let's go back to Crusoe's Island. And let's say he's already met Friday. Now let's assume Crusoe can produce five widgets per hour and three gadgets per hour. Then let's assume Friday can produce three widgets per hour and two gadgets per hour. If Crusoe spends four hours a day producing widgets and four hours producing gadgets, the total output for Crusoe is 20 widgets and 12 gadgets. And if Friday does the same, he produces 12 widgets and 8 gadgets. This means there, in total, you have 32 widgets and 20 gadgets. On the other hand, if Crusoe specializing, specializes in producing only what he's more superior at producing, the widgets, spending all 8 hours of the day producing widgets exclusively, Crusoe produces 40 widgets a day. And if Friday specializes in producing solely gadgets, he produces 16. Now combined, there are 56 units of widgets and gadgets. Whereas when both spent half their time producing each widgets and gadgets, only 52 combined units of widgets and gadgets are created. Now this example can be translated across cities or across states or across countries. People, and more broadly countries, should focus on producing what they're best at or where their advantages are greater. And then buy the other commodities, even though they're better at producing that commodity, they're less better at producing that commodity. They should buy those commodities from somewhere else. Doing so produces greater abundance, greater wealth, and a higher standard of living for everybody. Now, when we get back from this next break, we're going to get to another lesson about economics that Austin either has never learned or is very poor at codifying into his arguments. And we'll play another clip that shows how Austin, as soon as he tries to explain in greater detail why it is that we actually want a free market and why free trade instead of corporatism and cronyism, why free trade is better, he gets all scrambled up, moves to cultural and political jabs at other parties that have absolutely nothing to do with why free markets are good. 
So we'll be right back after this quick, quick break. All right, everyone. So I've got another great resource for those of you that are saying, Andrew, you know, I'd love to do Tom Woods' master level courses on Liberty Classroom, but I really don't have the time for that right now. I need a crash course on Liberty and Austrian economics. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, Donald Trump was just inaugurated and my parents or my wife or my husband or someone else I love is way over the moon. All their free market so-called convictions were tossed out. They threw the baby out with the Obamas. And now that there's a Republican in the White House, that's all that matters. I need something fast. I need something that'll get me caught up in a day or at most in a week. Well, folks, I've got you covered. If you want to learn more in a single day or in a week about economics than most people will learn in a lifetime, you're going to want to head over to Mises.org and check out their absolutely free Mises Boot Camp. In five quick lessons, you'll learn more than enough to take down any of the various absurd defenses of government interference in the economy that your Republican loved ones may launch over the next four to eight years to justify the big spending and big government and all sorts of other interferences, tariffs, whatever may come about under the Trump administration. For your convenience, you'll find a link directly to the registration page for the Mises Boot Camp on tonight's show page. Stop waiting and harness the knowledge that you need today. All right, everybody, we're back. So one more clip that just shows how, how incoherent Austin Peterson is when it comes to trying to explain the free market. Now, this one's a little bit shorter, so stick with me here. We'll be right back after we play this clip. Say, well, if someone from China, if they if they devalue their currency and then they and they subsidize their corporations, well, we should do the same. No, you shouldn't. And the reason why, one, just from a general perspective, is because if another country wants to throw rocks in their harbor, don't follow suit. That's not what you want to do. You don't want to make the same mistakes they're making. You don't ha you don't fight communism with communism. You know, that's not how you do it. You fight communism with free trade. That's another reason why I like the, um, the fact that we lowered the sanctions on Cuba, for example. Uh, but most of the people who say they didn't like TP had never read TPP. It mostly had to do, a lot of the resistance had to do with, um, had to do with, I think, what is the conspiracy theorist mindset, the fear of globalism, which, of course, is an unfounded fear because globalization has done more to lift people out of poverty in the last 50 years than any other economic force. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with, again, this sort of hyper-nationalism that we've seen with the paleoconservatives and the misunderstanding of economics, right? And so, I, I mean, I want free markets. I want real free markets. I don't want, I don't want to have managed trade either, right? And when you look at these, these, um, these trade agreements, very often they do engage in corporatism. They do engage in special uh, favors for American corporations. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's sort of this raw, raw, raw nationalism, America first, but that's not, that's not free market. Uh, but the, the problem is, is that people see Donald Trump and he's writing these executive orders. Well, they're, they're more than happy to cheer on a dictator when he's on on their side, right? But they, but they didn't like when Obama was using his. When the big conservative argument was, oh, he's got a pen and a phone. So then, when uh, Donald Trump comes in, are they arguing for the constitutional due process? No, no, of course not. Of course not. They're arguing for a dictator. They're crying out for a dictator because he's their dictator. He wears their coat and their colors, and so of course they're going to support somebody that that that. Wears so as you heard there, in, instead of explaining why free markets are good, AP just goes on to disparage Republicans. And instead of discussing the substance of the argument for or against free trade or for or against trade agreements, he just simply uses childish antics 
to try to tie Republicans and Democrats together as both being pro-dictator, which frankly, though I'm not a Republican, nor do I agree with, with hardline Republicans on very much, it's simply not true. I mean, you just have to look around at any college ca- campus and look what happened just last night in Berkeley, in Berkeley, California. You know, look at what happened following the inauguration of President Trump compared to the second inauguration of somebody who at that point could have easily been called a war criminal, which, by the way, I'm not saying that, you know, Barack Obama, I'm not saying that, that George Bush wasn't guilty of the same sins. He was. Nor am I saying that Trump won't be by the end of his first time. He likely term, you know, he likely will be. And according to some sources, has already killed an innocent eight-year-old girl with drone strikes. So if that's true and confirmed, then he already is. But I'm just saying the outrage over a new president that had done nothing but put an R in front of his name was so significantly greater than that surrounding the second second inauguration of somebody who had already done so much evil. You know, the point being that the left is far more dangerous than the right in this country. I think that's very clear. I don't think anybody with a slight bit of sanity could even deny that. Point being, though, Austin does not have the knowledge or is utterly incapable of expressing his knowledge when it comes to the benefits of an unhampered market economy, a free market, as compared to a hampered market economy. You know, he had this little quip about, not, you know, why do we want free markets? Well, you don't want to throw you know, rocks in your own harbor because someone else is doing it and that you don't fight communism with communism, which, yeah, they're, they're both true, but neither explains why a free market is better than a hampered market or than socialism or than cap, you know, or, or as compared to communism. So really quickly, because I do, I, I, I want to, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I do want to get to one more clip if we can that I want to play from that recent podcast before I let everybody go. So there is a significant difference between a free market and a hampered market economy. It, it, you know, Basically, in a free market, the production process is driven by a market entrepreneur who competes for resources and uses the price system to determine what the most urgently demanded consumer wants are based on the foresight of this entrepreneur or the judgment of future prices and the assessment of the current cost to produce certain goods of which when netted allow them to figure out whether or not they'll be able to make a profit or will likely suffer a loss. Now, if an entrepreneur uses resources to produce goods, goods that are less urgently demanded or not demanded at all by consumers, then they're going to suffer losses and eventually go out of business, allowing the resources they were commanding to be commanded to be sold often at a very steep discount or at least some discount to better entrepreneurs who can produce goods and services that are more urgently demanded by consumers. Now, the higher the profit that an entrepreneur is earning, the more valuable their production, necessarily. Now, not in dollar terms for the entrepreneur, but in urgency terms for the consumer. By doing so, they're best serving all of society with the factors of production that they're commanding. Now, in the hampered economy, on the other hand, which is what we have here in the United States, Market entrepreneurs are replaced with political entrepreneurs. Barriers to entry are erected by their political cronies to prevent competition from entering their market and to provide the political entrepreneur with an advantage. This allows the political entrepreneur to command resources that can serve society better by producing the most urgently demanded goods and services and instead in the hands of the political entrepreneur to produce goods and services that are less urgently demanded 
while still earning a profit. What ends up happening is this is a massive misallocation of real resources that have alternative uses of which the alternatives are better fit to meet society's most urgent demands. Further, when a market economy becomes severely hampered to the point that an entrepreneurial production process driven by profit and loss is replaced by the bureaucratic production process driven by what I call the budget increase motive, society's most urgently demanded goods and services are ignored and instead the bureaucratic mandates aim to ensure that the problems they are allegedly going to solve are never solved. Otherwise, if they actually solve them, the bureaucrats would lose their jobs. And further, the bureaucrats do everything they can to lose as much money as they can so that they can ensure that they have a, their budgets increased the following year. Now, just go and Google. If you think that this previous statement is some sort of straw man, just go and Google bureaucracies rush to spend money at the end of the year. You'll be shocked by what you see and how wasteful these organizations are, but you really shouldn't be. The sole motivations of these bureaucracies is to have their budget increased and to secure their jobs for the next year. So I'm, I'm probably not going to get to this last clip because just, we just don't have the time tonight. But the last, last clip was basically Austin you know, is explaining that the good shouldn't be the enemy of the perfect, which is somewhat true, but then goes on to try and say that you know, he's not a utopian and that we have a government and essentially goes on to, to imply that governments aren't trying to push for utopian goals, which is clearly false. I mean, I would ask Austin, if you were next to me, you know, if governments aren't pushing for utopian goals, why is it that they can't seem to realize that tragedies happen no matter how big they get or no matter how involved they get? You know, that no matter how much surveillance they conduct, terror attacks occur. No matter how big of a police state, crimes still occur. And why, in fact, that the bigger the government gets, the more often and more common tragedies become. Why is it that we have something like a war on drugs? Why is it that Enron and WorldCom led to Sarbanes-Oxley? I mean, was, was the idea of Sarbanes-Oxley not to end all corporate scandals once and for all? And that's how it was pitched. Did it succeed at doing so? No. But when it doesn't succeed at doing so, the answer is simply more regulation. You know, all these questions that I would ask Austin if he were next to me highlight the fact that the paternalistic nature of government is to try and convince people that through expanded government powers or the right people in charge, they can prevent tragedy from ever occurring. So first off, they can't. Tragedy will always exist so long as humans are fallible. And the moment that humans are no longer fallible, we're no longer humans. So second, who the hell wants to live in a world where there's absolutely no tragedy ever? I mean, without sadness, how would we know joy? You know, a world without tragedy would be a world without joy. It would be a colorless world of robotic drones. You know, such a world would be a logical contradiction. Nobody would want to live in such a world, which would mean there was sadness, which would mean there's tragedy. So I think that's about it for tonight, folks. But I do hope that everybody listening understands why I say no AP for LP. You know, beyond his childish antics and his smugness, besides the fact that he just has one of those faces like Ted Cruz that's just really, really hard to like, 
And besides the fact that I think that he's very likely using the Libertarian Party as a platform for self-aggrandizement, the reason why I truly dislike Austin and think he is not and very likely never will be a good candidate for the Libertarian Party is the fact that he's unable to explain the tenets and the benefits of the free market without stumbling all over himself and shifting into non-sequitur quips about the other major parties. The Libertarian Party needs a candidate, if they are ever to be successful, who can so clearly and concisely explain the benefits of the free market, the logic of economic liberty, that conservatives will be willing to back them despite a non-interventionist foreign policy, and that liberals that have been voting for Democrats will say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. I've never heard anyone explain the free market that way before. Plus, I know this libertarian is truly committed to non-interventionism, unlike the Democratic Party that's been lying to me for all these years. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed tonight's episode. Do not forget to check out tonight's show page if you're not listening to the episode from it already. It's at macroviewnews.com, and it'll be the first post available when you arrive there. Now, I'll link to the episode mentioned earlier, episode 28, where I discuss uh, understanding financial markets and savings and how savings makes uh, labor more productive. And I'll also link to Austin's episode where I got these clips from. And then I'll also link to some resources for those of you interested in a deeper discussion of the laws of comparative and absolute advantage. So while you're there, don't forget to look for our links to our, um, our Facebook and our Twitter pages so that you can follow, follow us on both. And also while you're there, sign up for our email list so that you'll be notified when new episodes are released. That way you never miss an episode. But most importantly, most, most importantly, do not forget to share us with your friends and your family, with your social networks, and wherever else you feel as though it would be appropriate. And help me to spread the logic of liberty. Tune in again tomorrow night. Tomorrow we'll be get, we will be beginning a new series on how to value an investment. So don't miss out on that series. Take care, folks. You have been listening to The Macro View. Tune in tomorrow night and every weeknight at 9.30 p.m. Pacific Time to help spread the logic of liberty. <laughs>